Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rose, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode, Bishop talks about a special Mass he celebrates every year for those in the law profession, as well as those who serve in public office. It's called the Red Mass. And this year, in his homily, he shares a story about a young Sicilian judge who courageously dealt with mafia criminal activity in the 1980s and was later assassinated. Hear more about Blessed Rosario Livatino in this episode. The show wraps up with a shift from the legal profession to the commandments and this Sunday's gospel reading about the greatest commandment. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop. Thank you again for joining us. You're welcome, Kyle. You know, you do a lot of special masses. We're going to talk about the red mass today. You do the white mass, uh, anniversary masses, school masses. Do you have a favorite of these masses that are kind of outside the liturgical season? Wow, I I really, I, I enjoy them all. And I usually have two of each because yeah. I have one in Fort Wayne and one in South Bend. You know, I've always enjoyed the Red Mass because it's, for me, you know, I enjoy political science. Uh-huh. I enjoy law. and um, As a canon lawyer history. yourself as well. Right. And we've, you know, we have a law school here in our diocese, a great law school at mm-hmm. Notre Dame. So when I have the Red Mass, it's always in the South Bend side. It's always at the Basilica, the Sacred Heart at Notre Dame. And, uh-huh. and it requires me to to really think deeply about what I want to talk about. Because Red Mass is not only for those in the legal profession, but it's also those who serve in public office. Mm-hmm. So some of our elected officials come. So I, I think it's really uh, important. We have St. Thomas More societies in both Fort Wayne and South Bend that organize these Red Masses. So I don't know if you're willing to share some of your homily from the Red Mass with us. Sure. Um, well, I actually, there was quite a separation between the two Red Masses. Usually they're close together, but this year I had the Red Mass in Fort Wayne at the Cathedral of Immaculate Conception on August, October 6th, which is usually around the time because it's usually the beginning of October. That's when traditionally going back to the 13th century where, mm. where uh, judges would begin their terms. But um, because of calendar issues, I wasn't able to have the Mass at Notre Dame until October 26th. But I always give the same homily because otherwise I'd be writing, oh, yeah. you know, so many homilies. But I, I really wanted to focus on the call to holiness, mm-hmm. uh, basically the great teaching of the Second Vatican Council on the universal call to holiness. The Council Fathers said that strengthened by so many and such great means of salvation, all the faithful, whatever their condition or state, are called by the Lord, each in his or her own way to that perfect holiness by which the Father himself is perfect, end mm-hmm. quote. So every one of us, every believer, needs to discern his or her path to holiness. Me as a bishop, you as a husband and mm-hmm. father and involved in media. So according to our own job, our profession, our own state of life, you know, how can we grow in holiness? Now, when I'm addressing those in the legal profession and those in public office at the uh, Red Masses, of course, their great model is the patron saint of lawyers and politicians, St. Thomas More. What an example of holiness. So I often will talk about St. Thomas More and some of his qualities. Although this year I didn't talk a lot about St. Thomas More, I talked about somebody else as an example of holiness, which I'll get to. Mm-hmm. 
But I think the fundamental point that I made in the homily this year was as lawyers and judges and public officials, asking them to think about how they can be credible witnesses to Jesus and his gospel in their professions, in their law offices, in the courtroom. So that's important for all of us to remember. We don't check our faith at the door when we enter our place of work, that we're called to be Christ's disciples, not only at home with our families or not only in church. We're called to witness to Christ to our coworkers. And and I said to the lawyers, witness to Christ to your clients Mm -hmm. and even to their opponents, you know? And how are they to do that? By their goodness, by their integrity, by their charity, and working with integrity and skill in serving their clients. And not forgetting that they're just not serving their clients. They're serving the common good. So the graces of baptism and confirmation are not to be put aside when a person goes to work. And I said to the lawyers and judges, you don't leave the Holy Spirit outside when you enter the courtroom. So that was kind of my, you know, introductory part of my homily. And I think another aspect that I talked about that is important for everyone, no matter what our work is, is the path to holiness always involves in some way the way of the cross. And the gospel that we used at the Red Masses this year was where Jesus talks about denying ourselves and taking up our cross every day in following him. And then he said something, Jesus said something really important. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Well, that's St. Thomas More lived that. Right. He gave his life as a martyr for the sake of Jesus. And then Jesus went on to say, what profit is there for one to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit himself? And there's that famous quip of Thomas More, you've probably heard in the play, A Man for All Seasons. More's former friend named Richard Rich (laughs) gave false testimony against Thomas More at his trial. And he was awarded, rewarded with an appointment as Attorney General of Wales. Okay. Well, St. Thomas More said to Richard Rich, it profits a man nothing to give his soul for the whole world. But for Wales, Richard? (laughs) So (laughs) Thomas More had a great sense of humor. But, you know, how often we can be tempted by the things of this world, by money, by ambition, by popularity, by worldly gain, worldly success. But we have to be careful because if we succumb to these things, we can lose our souls. The path to holiness entails self-denial, renouncing these gains Mm -hmm. for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. So I talked about the challenge, especially for the lawyers and judges, of living their Catholic faith in the legal profession today. This includes understanding law in the context of the higher law to which we are bound. You know, I don't think there are many law schools in our country today that teach about civil law's connection to the natural law. Hmm. And as disciples of Jesus, we understand ourselves to be bound by the natural law. 
Now, I think most law schools teach the ethical duties of lawyers, but really what is being taught in most law schools, often these ethical duties fall short mm-hmm. of the moral imperatives that we as Catholics embrace for the improvement of the administration of justice. And one of the main challenges, I think, is the culture we live in, the direction of our culture, because law is shaped by culture. Law is shaped by culture. In fact, law and culture reinforce and shape each other. Hmm. So when we look back at the immoral laws about slavery, and then they were followed by the Jim Crow laws in the Deep South. These unjust laws were shaped by a culture in which the moral compass of the citizens was distorted. Hmm. And this is a major challenge for us today. Sometimes we'll say, okay, politics is the big challenge, but no, it's really culture. We live our faith in a culture which is often at odds with the truths of the faith, like extreme individualism. We live in a culture of extreme individualism. That's why we have pro-choice, you know? And as Catholics, we do uphold individual rights, but always within the context of our responsibilities for the common good. Mm -hmm. We uphold the dignity of the human person every human person in a culture that, remember, Pope Francis calls often a throwaway culture where even human life is discarded or human life is devalued. And then we have other cultural currents like relativism and materialism in our society. So to be a faithful Catholic in the world, in any profession, in the midst of a culture that's not open to the transcendent truths of faith and reason is a challenge. Mm -hmm. And I think for people in the legal profession, especially because of that mutual reinforcement of law and culture. Now, this is a very complex topic. I couldn't talk about it as much as I would have liked. My homily was too long as it was. But but I did encourage those who attended to think about it. And I did give them three suggestions. Okay for pursuing holiness in today's culture. And then I gave them a contemporary example, which I can share with you. So the three suggestions, they could be seen as controversial, but I put them out there. Uh The first, of course, is never cooperate illicitly with evil. Hmm. Never cooperate illicitly with evil. So in our culture, You know, there's a lot of temptation to cooperate with things that we know are evil. Now, you look at judges. This is a special challenge. They have to follow the law Mm -hmm. in the cases that come before them. But there's a moral duty to recuse themselves if the law would require them to perform an intrinsically evil act. Mm -hmm or cooperate with evil in a manner that is morally impermissible. It's a famous article some years ago by Amy Coney Barrett. There was a co-author, I forget Uh right now, but they looked at this issue. 
especially in light of the death penalty. Mm. And that when it came to actually, I don't want to summarize the whole article now, but there might come a point where a judge, yes, he can be involved in a, in a capital case like this, but if at the end the judge imposes that punishment, he should really recuse himself as a Catholic. Okay. He or she, I should say. What about uh, a lawyer who is defending somebody that committed a crime? That gets to another one of the three points I'm going to okay, give. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's okay. And I think it's this next point. I said to the congregation, always pursue justice. Mm. Okay, always pursue justice. So when it comes to their clients, they serve the needs of their clients. But that can be a challenge if a client wants his or her lawyer to engage in conduct that the lawyer knows is unjust okay. and immoral. It might be legal, uh-huh. but if it's unjust and immoral, really the lawyer needs to always, is obliged, a Catholic lawyer, to follow their properly formed conscience in these matters. Now, some legal ethicists, probably most, especially in law schools today, hold to what is often called role morality. Role morality. That's a position really popular in legal ethics today. Now, those who are proponents of role morality hold that a lawyer must do whatever the client wants, as long as it's legal. If it's legal, you have to do what your client wants. So basically what they're saying, these ethicists that I disagree with, are basically saying the lawyer has to have an amoral role. But what is that doing? That theory of ethics exalts autonomy over the objective good, and it exempts a lawyer from any measure of accountability Mm. for assisting his or her client's immorality. Catholic lawyers are to pursue justice above the self-serving interests of their clients, Hmm. to exalt one's client's will and autonomy above the common good, ignoring the goods of truth and respect for others, in my opinion, is problematic Mm -hmm. because true justice cannot be reduced to doing whatever one's client desires. A Catholic lawyer should always consider justice as the ethical yardstick when considering what his or her client wants to do. So, I mean, if the defendant has committed a crime, maybe has admitted to his lawyer that he's done it, but wants to plead not guilty and wants a defense, and maybe there's not enough evidence to convict him, what would the moral obligation of the lawyer be to provide a defense for him? And the lawyer might be very capable. You see, the other situation is you've got a guilty party and a victim, and the victim doesn't have a good lawyer, but the, the criminal has a good lawyer and could potentially win the case. Is that right. justice? No. I, I, that's a really good question. I think the answer that I would give to that is the lawyer can't be engaged in any kind of perjury. Mm-hmm. Okay? So the lawyer, yes, has to do everything they can in defending the persons, they have a right to the due process of law, mm-hmm. et cetera. 
but not crossing the line to cooperating in a lie, for example, Mm -hmm. or concealing information. I mean, there's all kinds of ways where a client may want a lawyer to do things that are really immoral, and that line needs to be drawn. Yeah. There is also situations where the law might allow certain things that a moral position, but you know, that we know it's just not right. Mm -hmm. So I think the um, criminal case where a lawyer is defending someone who committed the crime of murder and the lawyer has certain information that he or she knows that would be detrimental to their own client's case and then hiding that in discovery from the prosecution. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. Okay. All right. So was that two of the three yes. points? Yes. The third one is avoid greed in all mm. its forms. That is a command that comes from Jesus. It's addressed to all his disciples, to you and to me. And it's also those in the legal profession. It's a noble profession. Unfortunately, it's a profession that has been adversely affected by our materialistic culture. Mm-hmm. So think of some of the some mega law firms in which profit reigns supreme. Mm -hmm. But the ultimate aim should be the attainment of justice, not Mm -hmm. the maximization of profits. Right. You can think of a law firm, and there's businesses too, where everything's about profit despite the human costs. I mean, having to work these crazy hours So one really has no time for one's family. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of corporations or those kind of law firms, they're all consumed with making money. Mm -hmm. And this should be troubling. I mean, Scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. So the culture of some law firms really are reflecting the culture of our materialistic society. So the church encourages leaders of law firms to create a different culture Mm -hmm. and evangelize culture. And one way to do that is for them to hear the cry of the poor and the needy Mm -hmm. by serving the least fortunate pro bono or with reduced charges Mm -hmm. according to their means. So basically, those are the three suggestions, you know, never to illicitly cooperate in evil, Always pursue justice and avoid greed in all its forms. Well, and I think that last one that you mentioned, that can go to a lot of workplaces exactly. of overworking, you know, that whole work-life balance. Like, yes, I could make more money, but what am I neglecting by spending all my overtime at work when I could be or should be with my family or service to the church or to the yeah. poor? Yeah. Yeah. And there's some companies that if you're going to stay with them, you have to do that. Right. Which is terrible. The example of holiness that I presented was a young judge from Sicily who was beatified this past May Mm -hmm. by Pope Francis, and his name was Rosario Livatino, Rosario Livatino, and he was a prosecutor in Agrigento, a city in Sicily, and he had to deal with the criminal activity of the mafia back in the 1980s. And I remember this because I was a student in Rome and did a trip to Sicily. And, you know, you see the influence of the mafia in the culture. Well, Rosario Livatino, as a prosecutor, confronted this corrupt system of mafia bribes and kickbacks 
that were given for public work contracts. By the end of the decade, in 1989, he became a judge. He was just 37 years old. They called him the boy judge. Hmm. So it was a culture that was deeply affected by the public evil of the mafia. And Blessed Rosario, throughout his career, worked against corruption, and he gained success in a number of cases. He obtained the seizure of large sums of money and property, arrest of senior figures in organized crime, and he was a devout Catholic, and this took a lot of courage, you can imagine. Mm -hmm. He courageously pursued justice. And for him, to render justice was an act of prayerful self-dedication to God. So this is an example of um, someone whose faith he didn't leave behind when he entered the courtroom. He saw the connection. He once said, and this is a quote from him, to render justice is a fulfillment of oneself. It is a prayer. It is a dedication of oneself to God. What a beautiful way to look at his profession. Mm -hmm. Now, he not only pursued justice in his work, but he also pursued charity. And remember, love is the supreme law of the gospel. Hmm. Another quote from him that I really like, he said, justice is necessary but not sufficient and must be overcome by the law of charity, which is the law of love, love of neighbor and God. Rosario knew that only charity, only love, solves problems at their roots. So he lived his profession with this strong sense of justice that came from his faith, as well as with a spirit of charity. Mm -hmm. His faith was really the cornerstone of his life as a lawyer and as a judge. He learned how to live this courage and selflessness from his attendance at daily mass, his personal prayer, his daily reading of the scriptures. Even when he was a young student, I think in law school, and even before law school, he was devoted to the Bible. And he wrote, and this is another quote, the Bible is the chest in which is enclosed the most precious jewel that exists, the word of God. The Bible is a jewel that never wears out. And it is not a feudal ornament, but a wonderful and wise master to spiritual and material life. After he died, they found on his papers, his writings, the letters STD at the top of the pages. And they stand for Latin sub tutela dei, which means under the tutelage or guardianship uh -huh. of God. Huh. So in everything he did, he knew that God's sight was upon him. Yeah. And that's how he lived his life, under the sight of God, in the light of faith. And also on his desk was always a crucifix and a New Testament. And the pages of the New Testament were underlined all over. They uh -huh. were all crumpled. That's because he read it so often. Uh -huh. So he drew his profound wisdom from the gospel, the teachings of the church, and the lives of the saints. So he was a real credible witness of coherence in his life of faith and his daily work. Yeah. It all has to do with sanctifying the world through one's daily life and work. So I presented him as a model in the legal profession of courageous integrity 
dedication to justice and the common good, witness to Jesus and the gospel. So he lived his faith not only when he passed through the doors of the church, but when he passed through the doors of the court. And he didn't hesitate to take sides in defense of the truth mm-hmm. and in the protection of the victims of the mafia, right. even at the cost of his own life. So there are a lot of other judges and lawyers and politicians. They just went along with the mafia. Yeah. Blessed Rosario avoided any questionable contact or favors from mafia families. He wouldn't stop investigating cases or prosecuting cases when the defendants were affiliated with the mafia. So that was a big risk. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine. So he was soon hated by the local bosses who eventually ordered his assassination. So it was September 21st, 1990. Assassins rammed his car while Judge Rosario was driving to court. They shot at him through the windows from a car and from a motorcycle, and he was wounded in his shoulder. He left his vehicle, and he started to run away. And the killers chased him, and they kept shooting. He lost one of his shoes as he was running away, and he fell down. Hmm. Then looking at the man who was about to shoot the last bullet, he said in Italian, Cosa vi ho fatto, picciotti? Guys, what have I done to you? Hmm. There was no condemnation. There was no hatred in his words. And they remind me of the words of Jesus that we chant at the Good Friday liturgy every year. My people, what have I done to you? Hmm. So Blessed Rosario Livatino, he was just 38 years old when he was assassinated. And, you know, he's inspired a whole generation of Catholic lawyers in Italy and even beyond Italy. John Paul II called him a martyr to justice. And on the day of his beatification this past May, Pope Francis said, we give thanks to Rosario Angelo Livatino for the example he leaves us, for having fought every day the good fight of faith with humility, meekness, and mercy, always and only in the name of Christ, without ever abandoning faith and justice, even in the imminence of the risk of death. So I was really inspired when I read about Blessed Rosario's life. And when I celebrated uh, the Red Mass in Fort Wayne, I was asking the, uh, those who were there as they were leaving, I was greeting people, did they know about Blessed Rosario? Uh-huh. And none of them knew about him. Right. We had a picture of him in the program for the Red Mass and a prayer for his canonization. I actually prayed the prayer for his canonization with the congregation. Really, what a great example of consistency between faith and work. Mm-hmm. All of us, those practicing law or whatever, were to do so sub tutela dei, under the tutelage and the watch of God. Yeah. That's such a great story. And it does seem like there's some parallels to St. Thomas More. Oh, yeah. He's kind of a modern day, well, future saint and currently yeah. blessed. Yeah. So... That's good. How do you say or spell his name again? Rosario. It means rosary. Rosario. Uh Uh, Rosario. (laughs) And Livatino is L-I-V-A-T-I-N-O. Okay. Livatino. Blessed Blessed Rosario Rosario Angelo Livatino. All right. 
Well, great. Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, just a reminder, if you have a question for Bishop, you can text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we'll talk about the greatest commandment and what Sunday's gospel has to say about it. Coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union has a special mission to serve the Catholic Church in America. In 2020 alone, we've served over 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. We are a member-owned, not-for-profit cooperative, working hard to create a national Catholic financial alternative to the for-profit banks. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and we've been talking about the legal profession and moral law and natural law, and maybe it's a good segue into the commandments, and specifically what we hear this coming Sunday in the gospel, the greatest commandment. So maybe you can share a little bit about this coming Sunday's gospel that help us prepare a little bit for Mass. Yeah, you know, I use this gospel... Um, well, I talked about this gospel when I had the all-schools masses in both South Bend and, and Fort Wayne. Okay. It wasn't the gospel of the day, but I used it in my homily. Uh -huh. I'll tell you why in a minute. But So this coming Sunday, it's Mark chapter 12, where one of the scribes came to Jesus and asked him, what is the first of all the commandments? Mm -hmm. And of course, we all remember Jesus' reply. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the reason I spoke to all of our school children about this is, especially up in South Bend, actually it was at Notre Dame, it was the feast of Pope John the 23rd. October 11th. And I was telling them a little bit about good Pope John. And of course, we have the fourth graders there and they're oh. all dressed as different saints. Right. And I kind of said, you know, really, they teach us to live this great commandment because that's what they did. And so I really focused on, you know, love of God, love of God, the God revealed to us by Jesus, the Son of God, that incredible love all the way to the end his sacrifice, his suffering and death for us. And then I said, well, how do we love God? And I think this is important for us to think about it. It shouldn't be just a theory. Oh, yeah, I love God. It needs to be real mm -hmm. and something that we live. So I really gave three ways of loving God and showing our love for God. And number one is prayer. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the saints were men and women of prayer. Certainly, St. John the Twenty-Third, a man of prayer, because every time we go to Mass, we give praise and thanksgiving to God. We adore Him. Okay, this is really the first commandment. And why do we do it? Why do we give praise and adoration to God? The motivation is love, our love for God. And that love is a response God's love for us. So we respond to God's love with our love, and then we express our love in praise, thanksgiving, adoration. 
prayer. Mm-hmm. I encourage the kids to begin every day. And I've, you know, when they wake up to just kneel by their bed and pray the Our Father, mm-hmm. not fast, but slowly. That's an act of love. We dedicate our day to God. So prayer and worship, first way to live this, this first of the commandments. But the second way of expressing and living our love for God is striving to keep his commandments. I mean, I think back about Jesus's words to the disciples. He said to them, abide in my love, and you will abide in my love if you keep my commandments. Mm -hmm. So one way we show our love for God is that we obey his commandments. I mean, every time we avoid taking the name of the Lord in vain, it's because of our love for God, mm-hmm. our respect for God. And keeping holy the Lord's day, going to Mass on Sunday, that's because of love for God. When we honor our parents, the fourth commandment, that's an expression of our love for God. We're obeying that commandment. So this obedience is a way to show our love for God. Mm-hmm to live our love for God. And the third thing is to love others. That's the second commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And St. John teaches us if we say we love God and hate our neighbor, we're liars. Right. So another very important way to live our love for God is to love his image Mm. in every other human being, the love of neighbor. So it's kind of a simple message and basic But I think sometimes we have to get back to the basics. And we can't just think of love for God as some like theoretical, abstract thing. No, it needs to be real in our lives in those three ways. Mm -hmm. Well, and that whole idea of loving our neighbor as ourself implies that we do love ourself. Mm -hmm. How does that look? And what's the difference between loving ourselves in a productive, healthy way versus maybe in a narcissistic or prideful way. Yeah. I mean, self-love is something healthy, but it becomes unhealthy when it's the narcissistic, Mm -hmm. where it's self-centered, where it's putting ourselves above others, Mm -hmm. then it becomes sinful. But a healthy self-love is recognizing that God created us with dignity. He created us in his image and likeness. So we shouldn't loathe ourselves. We shouldn't hate ourselves. We should recognize our creaturely status and with gratitude for the gift of life that we've received from our creator, but not fall into the sin of pride where we become self-centered and egotistical and where self-love becomes excessive. So would it be safe to say that the best order for these is to, that we first love God and then we're able to love ourselves. And in those two, then we can love our neighbor. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's the proper order. It could be that, you know, I know people who have little or no faith in God, Mm -hmm. but will show love for others. Mm -hmm. And maybe that is a way that as they love others, they come to love God, who is the creator So I think that's a possibility as well. All right. 
Well, thank you so much, Bishop, again, for another great episode of Truth and Charity. Reminder, you can find all of these online and you can subscribe in your favorite podcast app, share it with your friends, share it on social media, let other people know about Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. And before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.